Hi Monies, welcome to the Sailor Moon Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria L. Johnson, and I'm here with Raven, aka Mother Princess. He's a sex worker, PhD student, and a bell hook superfan, and of course, a Sailor Moon superfan. I'm so excited to talk to her. Hey Raven. Hi. Hi, welcome to the Sailor Moon Fan Club Podcast. <laughs> Thank you again for having me. I know there's not a lot of us out there, but we got to stick together. Yes, definitely. I am so excited to talk to you and we definitely have to stick together. <laughs> so, um, the first question I ask everyone is, what's your first memory of watching Sailor Moon? Oh my gosh, my first memory. Mm-hmm. Like okay. I vaguely remember, like kind of vaguely remember seeing it on Toonami when I was like, super itty bitty Mm -hmm. but like making the active choice to watch it uh we used to go to family video I don't know if the kids nowadays like remember that but there used to be those video rental stores Mm -hmm. and we used to go there every Friday for me as a treat me and my family Mm -hmm. and I remember the first Sailor Moon like VHS that I like rented it wasn't even an episode it was actually I'm pretty sure the first movie okay the one where it was like the aliens mm-hmm. yes yeah, <laughs> and i remember movie. just like the colors and like the, i didn't really know what was going on you know mm-hmm. but that was for me like the first time i intentionally was like i want to look at this <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely the first movie i think it's promise of a rose it's great mm-hmm. yep so good where is this like blockbuster or home hollywood video or is this some other this was family video oh it's called family video okay oh yeah Cool. That's dope. So how were you, how did you feel? What were you thinking when, as you're watching this movie? I was probably, I want to say I was in first grade. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember exactly what I was feeling, but I remember just, I've always been the type of girl growing up where like, there's a lot of girls who will tell you, you know, I don't really like girly stuff. I like tomboy stuff mm-hmm. and like, shout out to them, but I was a girly girl. Like I still am. Like, I was watching, you know, Totally Spies, Mm -hmm. Powerpuff Girls. Like, just me seeing girls in general was, like, that was it for me. Whether it was live action, like, that's so Raven, or a cartoon, or anime. Right. That was a great thing. And I remember just, yeah, I just remember being transfixed by it. I just love seeing, like, pretty girls, like, doing anything. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I love about Sailor Moon and Totally Spies and Powerpuff Girls, is they were, like, able to be pretty, but also, like, badass Yes, definitely. It wasn't like, you know, and I know Sailor Moon is less about like the fighting and more about the relationships and a lot of like brightly colored mm-hmm. rainbow attacks. <laughs> but for me as a as a youngin, that was entertaining enough. And I'm gonna be honest, it's still entertaining to me now. It <laughs> is. It, it is. You can you can be totally honest about all your Sailor Moon feelings here. <laughs> <laughs> Sailor Moon feelings. <Yeah. laughs> a concept of Sailor Moon feelings. Yes. <laughs> you can like <laughs> this is the place for you to just air out all your feels <laughs> no judgment whatsoever right. good because i get a lot of judgment from my friends oh man well boo them <laughs> <laughs> um did you have a favorite sailor scout or senshi yes so i really enjoy i think when i was younger i just liked sailor moon but once i made the intention like around middle school where i actually started like for real for real watching anime mm-hmm. um and started watching it kind of from the beginning with like you know the subtitles and stuff like that i really enjoy Tibi usa like she's my favorite and when i found out that like the fandom kind of don't be rocking with her mm. i was so offended i was like <laughs> i absolutely love her she's the youngest 
obviously, you know, she's from the future, mm-hmm. but I feel like at times she represents exactly what the show is like about, about like, she's the consequence of the show. We see a lot of like them grappling with friendship and with love. And then she's a literal manifestation of like what happens when they continue to love. Right. That's such a good point. Yeah. I love that description. I never thought of it that way. I, um, I never had like this or that feelings for Chibiusa. I'm more appreciating her now. I do. I've always liked her though. I was surprised that people didn't like her when I got older and realized that. But um, now um, in my more recent rewatches, I've been like, yeah, she's like pretty cool. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like with the whole black lady art, mm-hmm. like that's probably what made her like my favorite. Like what other Sailor Scout can say they went through something like that, excluding the live action version in Sailor Mercury, right? right. Like that's a good point. Can say they went through a dark transformation and they have to come back. Yeah. And go through that whole psychological like um like she was brainwashed into thinking like no one cares about her like that's a lot of trauma to go through like they forgot about her birthday and we Mm -hmm. forget that even though she's technically 900 years old she's still psychologically like five or six when we first meet her if not younger i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure yeah no i think you're right Mm because i think she's like in kindergarten or something yeah she's super young so yeah i feel like people don't give my girl a lot of credit I agree. You're right on that for sure. I never thought of it that way, so I completely agree. Um, when was the next time you watched Sailor Moon after Promise of a Rose? After that, it was constantly going to family video, getting more and more rentals. Um, at that point, like, you know, this was way back in the day, I would go to the thrift store and I was a big reader. So I would get a whole bunch of books from the thrift store because wasn't nobody going to pay no $20 for no hardcover book at Borders. Mm-hmm. And so one day at the thrift store, there was a stack of Sailor Moon VHS oh that I guess somebody had just donated. Right. Um, there was also some like strawberry shortcake VHSs, Care Bear VHSs. So I got all of that. And they were like, 10 cent each or something like something stupid cheap because I got all of them (laughs) and so then it was less about oh we're going to family video so I could watch the same one of the same five VHS tapes they have and now I had access to all of these VHS tapes which you know looking back it wasn't a lot because the original you know English dub was like pretty short (laughs) but as a kid it just felt like it was so much and I, I just I started watching that all the time I don't um I don't remember all the VHS tapes, but I do remember what I think it, I think it was the third season. It was the one where they were taking the crystal hearts and there was like, um, like out of people. That was most of those like VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely season three. I didn't even know there were season three VHS tapes. So, wow. Because I've always, I've always, yeah, seen and I remember it yeah. because I, rem- I remember the sound effect that they would do when they would show that little like white thing beating, mm. like when it would make that weird. I remember that sound effect so vividly, wow. <laughs> and it sounded so disgusting. <laughs> it's so funny how things stick out in our head, like, <laughs> yeah, the original voice actor for, um. I forget his name, but the guy with the glasses, like he was top tier. They should have kept him oh, when they Professor retoped Toma? it. <laughs> yes, they should have definitely kept the original voice actor. Yeah, he's good. He's He was really good. Yeah, a lot of the original voice actors are really good. It's hard to duplicate, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you mentioned to me that uh, you have thoughts on Bell Hooks' work. 
um, on ra- how radical love engages with Sailor Moon. So I just like, just tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this isn't anything that I've like published or mm-hmm. even really gotten a chance to like workshop with other people because nobody's really familiar with Sailor Moon mm-hmm. um, in the way that I would need them to be to do it. So this is like my first time really like <laughs> talking about it. So if it's a little scattered, bear with me. No, go for but it. like, you know, Bell Hooks, like, you know, at the turn of the millennium, she kind of like had this call to action where she wanted the nation, you know, the U.S. to like, you know, sort of return to love, like this statement of returning to love. And, you know, she was saying we may never find home again because we've left or lost love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like that's what Sailor Moon is about, like returning to love, the love of our past, present and future selves. And, you know, we can see this kind of like with the Senshi and, you know, their friendship, because that's like the core of the series. Mm-hmm. And then we see that with their subsequent, like, romantic relationships from, you know, thousands of years ago. Right. <laughs> and then it's like reclaimed and refound in modern day Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And then going back to why I love to be Usa, you know, we see it again with her because she's a symbol for what happens when people do return to love, like, you know, her sheer existence, Mm -hmm. you know, and this concept of like justice, like, you know, Bell Hook says that like love can't exist without justice. Like they're, they have to both like coexist at the same time for them to both be valid. And Tuxedo Mask and Sailor Moon, like their love is able to exist because of justice, you know, and I would even argue that their love just straight up is justice. (laughs) and so they routinely save the world because their love is like so sure and so pure and so powerful and it's just you know just (laughs) and hooks you know with her comments about love not existing without justice like the moment justice is disrupted in the series whether there's a big bad and you know tuxedo mask always getting kidnapped or brainwashed you know their love like is disrupted as well Mm -hmm. because there's no more justice right oh man that was good. <laughs> also, like, <laughs> it's funny how you say that because, like, that's kind of like this one of the Sailor Moon taglines where she's like, you know, love and justice. Right. Like, that's literally, like, you know, the guardian of love and justice. Right. Like, you know, and then, like, also the concept of love as renewal. Like, you know, Hooks talks about that, too. And we see love on the show, like, constantly, like, renewing people mm-hmm. and reviving people. Uh, my favorite example of that is in uh, my favorite season of Taylor Moon Super S, mm. where it's like the Amazon trio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this whole time they're like evil. Of course, you know, they're like looking for the golden mirror. And then kind of at the end of their arc around like the middle of the season, you know, Pegasus like, you know, re- you know gives them enough life and gives them enough love to where they're reborn as like pure, innocent beings, mm-hmm. you know, because they finally let love take over. And Pegasus's forgiveness, and I'm sure you know the Sailor Scouts like forgiveness as well. Yeah, yeah, and also like one of my favorite arcs is like the Black Moon Clan, where because they mm-hmm. kind of have like the same other thing where they're kind of forgiven and like you know through Sailor Moon's love for them and like belief that they can be good, they themselves believe they can be good and like become better people, and like embrace right, love. Like- over hate that's such like a reoccurring like theme to the point Mm -hmm. where a lot of sailor moon's attacks especially in the earlier seasons aren't really like hurting anyone it's literally showering them with love and then they're no longer evil (laughs) or healing them 
right healing them mm-hmm. because evil is seen as this thing that takes over the body that love can cure. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, the last season stars, mm-hmm. I mean, Usagi's final like angelic form, like <laughs> yeah. that goes back to the whole rebirth, renewal, mm-hmm. revival and reset. Yeah, that always will be the like season that blows my mind just cuz like seeing Sailor Galaxy like kill everyone that she loves and for her to still be like I see good in you. I want to help you. Like I'm right. not like, going to destroy gonna you. you. I'm not going to fight you. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not going to fight you. Like there are times where I watched the last two episodes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> cuz it's so sad like Yeah, it blew my mind. I think that was like the first time I've seen that on a show or a movie or anything just because like the idea of total forgiveness even if someone like did so many evil things against you like in any other show they'd be like oh no this person is evil like it's time to like you have to like defeat them you know it's like you don't forgive them you don't like still want them to be okay right not at all and it it really did you know there were magical girl series before sailor moon Mm -hmm. of course but Sailor Moon really set the tone for, you know, the magical girl series that we have today and even of the 90s, whether it's Wedding Peach, mm-hmm. whether it's Pretty Cure, um, even looking at like dark magical girl series like Madoka Magic right. like, has elements of like, you know, concepts of forgiveness and life and death. Like it really set the tone for it to still be about friendship and of course girl power, but having those themes be central. Yeah, it's funny because I think Sailor Moon does a really good job on it. Well, maybe not a good job, but like, that might be the right <laughs> phrase, but like, um, cause when you think about it, it is kind of as dark as Madoka Magica when you talk about like Sailor Moon seeing her friends, you know, since she died in like the first season and like having to deal with this, like, right. you know, her losing her, you know, her childhood in a way, like she's, you know, a 14 regular old girl. She wants to be a regular teenager. And now she has like all this responsibility put on her. Um, and then, like you said, like with Chibiusa and, you know, her having to deal with like being, um, brainwashed and traumatized (laughs) like it's a lot when you think about it but it's seen as such a like happy show to a degree that you kind of don't notice just how much they're really going through and I think any Sailor Moon super fan like us or Mm -hmm. people listening to this podcast like we get that Mm -hmm. and that's why we love it that's why we return to it we return to love a little bit too you know Mm -hmm. but people that in my personal life, I'll try to, like, get them involved in the show. And, you know, I get it, like, (laughs) looking at it from the outside and then seeing how many episodes there are. And when I stress that even though there's a lot of filler, you still need to watch every single episode, Mm -hmm. I can see people, they're just like, you know what, this is not for me. Like, there have been, there are times where I've gotten, like, high off shrooms, and (laughs) I've tried to, like, watch <laughs> i tried to watch sailor moon with my friends and they're also off shrooms and they're like i'm not gonna lie to you girl i'm not feeling this oh and God. i'm like you don't feel the emotions like, <laughs> this is so like powerful like I, i'd be feeling at one with the universe when i watch sailor moon off a shroom trip i probably would too because like just the transformations alone i'm just trying to imagine or even like the monsters like it would freak me out no, that, and then, you know, I made the mistake. I mm-hmm. watched the episode where Mamaru and Usagi broke up, and he said, I don't date oh, me, girl. Oh, my God. And I was off of Shroom. I was off Shroom, and I was like, yeah, like, this is really touching my heart. Like, I was like, I cannot believe he did this for a stupid reason at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, like, other people don't really 
understand the deepness of the show because it's a lot of colors and a lot of short skirts and bows and hearts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not much like fist-to-fist fighting. Right. But it's still like, it's, yeah, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then so you also mentioned that you are studying in your PhD work, um, Black sex Sex Workers and Legal Theory. Um, I don't know enough about either of those. So also tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) So very much so still in the early stages. Okay. (laughs) But I'm trying to reimagine like what the world would look like if we centered black sex workers at the center of everything. Mm. Like, you know, the way that I see black sex workers and the way that I engage with them, especially being one, I see them as the source of all creativity, all pain all good and all bad like they're literally everything and I feel like we can learn a lot from them and then I just sometimes think of like you know almost in a like anime type of way like what would justice look like if black sex workers were able to be the center of law mm-hmm. like would justice like would justice be just this thing that would exist you know plainly or would we still have to fight for it if they were the center of laws and so you know, those are some like real deep questions. <laughs> and then the research methods I'm trying to do are a lot of arts based, you know, research um, methods. Mm-hmm. So whether it's autoethnography, which is like somebody's own reflections of something. And I feel like that would be valid with me because I'm a black sex worker, even though I don't speak for all of them, mm-hmm. you know, using that as a research method. And then also, you know, toying with this idea of maybe writing a short novel or a short play you know, as a research method, you know, I'm trying to get away from the numbers because numbers, I mean, you just type in black sex workers on Google Scholar and you just see rates of HIV, you know, rates of murder, all these like horrible things. And it's like such a negative outlook. And there's enough of that. There's so much more to the story with black sex workers. And I feel like getting to those stories all starts with centering them in the law, um, rebuilding society with them and their needs at the forefront. And, you know, trying to constantly undo our own biases about sex work and deviance. I look a lot at the sociological term of deviance. Deviant? Like, mm-hmm. okay. Like, like somebody, so the, social, the sociological term of deviance is basically like, you know, it strays from white, cis, hetero, patriarchal, ideology Mm -hmm. so for example black girls are already considered deviant because we're black and we're not men (laughs) right like we're not white and we're not men so we're already there but fast or like whatever what else do they say right we're all these things Mm -hmm. that are straying from these like (laughs) wasp like descriptions of what women should be Mm -hmm. and then black sex workers would be even more deviant because of the way that they perform their sexuality, the way they engage with the law, which is usually outside the law because <laughs> sex work is sadly still illegal. Right. And um, the way that we engage with promiscuity, you know, and I kind of want to reimagine what promiscuity is. Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? And how can we make it something that's not like negative? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I look at a lot of, uh, I read, a lot of literature about about black sex workers but I also read a lot of literature about black respectability you know like <laughs> I gotta know it in order to kind of like go against it so there's a book I'm currently reading uh 
man, I forget the whole title, but I think it's Our Kind of People. Oh, I've heard of that. I believe. Yeah. Right. And it's about, you know, the black bougie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's a lot of um, interesting, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the author's uh, viewpoint on a lot of things, but I think it's a lot of interesting information talking about how Black people try to be respectful as a form of survival, um, particularly Black women. And that's even more deeply explored with Dr. Muriel Miller-Young's um, A Taste for Brown Sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's basically all about Black porn stars, <laughs> which is very rare to find a book about like Black sex workers, right? right. But in her book, she talks a lot about how Black women specifically um, at the turn of the century, like, they didn't want to be harmed. So they formed these, you know, Christian groups that looking at it now in a modern day context, we're like, wow, this is like pretty respectability. But for them, it was like, if we get a group of Black girls and we teach them to straighten their hair and we teach them to talk like how white people talk and we teach them these rules of whiteness, mm-hmm. we can infiltrate and, you know, finally be safe, finally have upward mobility. And, you know, we see that that doesn't happen. (laughs) Surprise, it it never has. (laughs) Right, and it it never will work. Like, that's the sad part, like, it will never work. But, you know, understanding that it's used as a form of survival, like, Mm -hmm. gives me Mm -hmm. a lot more empathy and understanding for the Black girls who are not like other Black girls. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard, because I feel like every group is just trying to do their best to try and deal with white supremacy. And it's just like, you know, everything is like, you know, you just got to dismantle it and rebuild. (laughs) Everyone's like, let's try respectability politics. Let's try this thing. Let's try this thing. And it's like, yeah, nothing really works. Exactly. We need to moon tiara action. Yes. All of white (laughs) society right now. We just need to restart. Or pick a Sailor Saturn attack <laughs> no right we really yeah no we really need her like to just destroy it all just, like, use her thing yeah yeah we yeah is yeah i don't know but um yeah that's so cool it actually reminds me it's funny i randomly read this recently um this i think she's an economist janelle jones and she has this theory on like called black women best where it's kind of like similar where it's like if you center it because black women are the most like marginalized community and like the most you know community that's harmed if you center them in policies then like it benefits everybody else because if you're like making law that helps like the people who are most vulnerable it just easily helps everyone else like it just you know like a ripple effect so definitely and by centering black sex workers Mm -hmm. you know who are considerably outside the law because the way that they live and the things they perform and do are outside the law you're really getting to the issue with like legal theory or the issues with the law Mm -hmm. which is that you know people who exist outside the law people who the law doesn't consider people at all have never really had rights and even though I'm talking about all this black sex work and like Sailor Moon and Bell Hooks and Dr. Mil- uh, Muriel Miller-Young, I really get a lot of like my understanding of the systems of oppression and legal theory from education. Like that's my background, education, policy, organization, and leadership. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of that with combined with critical race theory informs my understanding, you know, of how we need to center certain groups in order to truly achieve a just society right well 
I am very excited to read your dissertation whenever it is in the world. (laughs) Girl, I'm going to be excited to write it. (laughs) So, so much good luck on your, uh, what is it called? Um, You have to like argue, I think. Yeah, when you have to defend it, I have to pass prelims. So right now I'm I'm doing the fun part. I just get to research. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like the research (laughs) part. (laughs) That's what I like. Yeah, research and write. I don't do nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to stop there. Yeah, no coursework. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Um, any I think you might have answered this already, but maybe maybe haven't. Um, what do you think is the biggest misconception about sex work? Oh, the biggest misconception. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest misconception is that sex work is this. I think people, there are two big misconceptions and they're on two sides of the spectrum. People see sex work as this only feminist empowering thing that super duper feminist girls do. <laughs> or on the other end, they see it as, you know, these victims who just can't escape and, you know, they just, they just, can't get out this is what they have to do because they have no other choice and you know I think those are two of the biggest misconceptions because it's both like it's never either or Mm. sex work is work right absolutely like it is (laughs) it is work it is the same thing you know um as clocking in to TJ Maxx Mm-hmm. for a shift where you get paid a very low wage the only difference is what we do is illegal but we also have days where we don't want to wake up and we don't want to talk to our clients right you know we are we are running our own business you know so there are days where I don't even talk to clients uh, that heavily or don't even have a client but I just spent six or seven hours rebuilding my website Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, for people who are like, that, so that I'm a full service sex worker, but even for people who are not full service, uh, meaning they don't have sex with their clients, like strippers or doms, like that's still a lot of emotional work. So there are days where we don't want to wake up and we don't want to get to bed. We are tired. <laughs> it is labor. You, It's okay to be tired of doing labor, to live. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so... There's also, you know, days where it does feel super empowering, though, where it's like, you know, I just got done seeing a client and I paid off my rent and I get to put a little aside for a car note for a new computer. And I would have had to put in three or four weeks at, a, you know, customer service job to do that. And I just made that in two or three hours. Mm-hmm. So there are some days where it does feel super important. And then, you know, I'll be honest, I've had some horrible things happen to me along the way, and I'm very happy to be alive and to have survived those things. But there are days where I do feel like a victim and where I feel unprotected by the law, as well as, you know, by my community, not sex workers per se, but, you know, Black men or even even Black women who make comments about, you know, OnlyFans girls or sex workers online. Like, there are moments where I do just feel alone and I do feel trapped. Mm. So I think the biggest misconception is that sex work is this like one or the other thing when it's it's a multitude of everything. And a lot of that starts with people just not seeing sex work as work. <laughs> they don't see it as work. They see it as something other than work. What they see it as, I can't tell you, <laughs> yeah. but they definitely don't see it as work. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's like, well, I won't say it's like a lot of things, but I feel like a lot of people downplay, especially a lot of jobs that women are typically the ones doing if that, I don't know, that might be wrong but like like oh, stay-at-home yeah. moms um teachers you know sex workers 
um oh yeah you know like they're like oh it's easy (laughs) there's a long rich history um in the in the earth on earth (laughs) (laughs) of people devaluing (laughs) work that women traditionally have done right and then we see often even when men enter into those fields or into those lines of work Mm -hmm. they still like even though women have been doing it for centuries when they get in they bypass a lot of the sexism and mm-hmm. sometimes they even get paid more because we see with, you know, male sex workers and sex workers uh, who are sex workers who identify as men and mm-hmm. who cis men specifically, they, you know, are real quick to hop on the justice for sex workers train, this, that, and the third. But when they cut, when they get into an argument or a disagreement with a woman sex worker, all of a sudden this, you a hoe you selling it for $5. And it's like, I thought we were in community together. Mm-hmm. Like, how you come up in my field where it's bitches that look like me and you're making more money than me and you're spewing shit at me. Like, how does that happen? Right. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, sadly, that is, like you said, a pattern that's been going off since the beginning of Earth. <laughs> and <laughs> probably beyond. <laughs> beyond beyond what we even know so mm-hmm. yeah that happens in all fields of work but it's, it's present in sex work too right yeah no I yeah I yeah um how did you get into sex work yeah so mm-hmm. I actually um I think a lot of people have stories when they're college students of being broke and like wanting to get a little extra cash and while the extra cash didn't hurt, <laughs> it definitely um, wasn't my story. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like I could even pretend like it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was in an abusive relationship uh, with a woman. And after that, uh, in the relationship, I was sexually assaulted. Oh, wow. And after that, I had a hard time connecting with people emotionally as well as sexually. You know, I felt like Every time uh, somebody wanted to have sex with me, I had to get something from it where like, because in case they took something, I could still leave it and say, I got this. Mm. You didn't take it all from me. And I don't know what I was doing, <laughs> but I was on Twitter one day and it was some girl talking about financial domination. And I clicked, it, it was a little hashtag and I clicked it and I was like, what the hell is this? It was so, it was pity. It was ass shaking. <laughs> it was all of this. It was yelling at men. I think that's what attracted me. It was mm. a lot of yelling at men, calling them losers and people would get money from it. And I was like, yo, <laughs> I could definitely do this. So I started the summer of 2018 and I was pretty successful with that. Like the first week, I think I made like $300, which back then, you know, I didn't really have a concept of what you could make during sex work. So Mm -hmm. that was like the big bucks to me. And I'm going to be honest. I mean, I made it in like one hour. So it's still (laughs) pretty much big bucks to me, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But I was just so enamored. And then on that side of Twitter, because this is all on the side of Twitter. It's sex work side of Twitter. Just like how it's black Twitter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so... Some girl said something about escort, and I was like, I've heard that before. What is that? And then, like, it was, like, these ads and these links, and again, hashtags, and I was like, wow, there's more, and y'all have sex for real, for real with these people, and y'all make, like, a sex for, like, 90 minutes doing it? I gotta get into this. So, (laughs) I started, um, I started, you know, (laughs) being a full-service sex worker. I started having sex with men for money. Um, whether you want to call me a sugar baby, whether you want to call me an escort, 
whether you want to, you know, call me any of those, mm-hmm. um, I, I have sex with men for money. <laughs> sex work, and, yeah. <laughs> right, like I have sex with men for money. Mm-hmm. And yeah, from that point on, you know, I made a website, uh, I have business cards. Um, I was at first mostly online, like that was how I found a lot of my clients, you know, using sites like Eros or, you know, um, the new site Trist, mm-hmm. um, things like that. But then eventually, you know, I started feeling myself and I started just going freestyling, <laughs> which is, you know, old school, going to a hotel bar, sitting down and talking real nice and, you know, going home with some bread. And here I am now, you know, it's COVID. So I'm trying to, you know, uh, keep it, keep it as safe as possible. Like I'm mm-hmm. in an area where there's a lot of free testing. And so I tell my clients, before you see me, you have to have gotten tested at least two days before. Mm. Um, And I've also stopped taking new clients. So they're just clients I know. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's that's what I do. I I can't say it's my main source of income because it really is like supplemental um, because I have a job. I'm a graduate assistant, but it's nice, comfortable money to where I didn't feel as scared or as nervous when the pandemic came because I've been saving up all this money from sex work. So Mm -hmm. all that money, you know, I ended up giving it to a whole bunch of relief funds and like other (laughs) sex workers during the pandemic just because I was like, you know, I have this and like, you know, mutual aid, right? But Mm -hmm. that's where I am now. Like I'm just out here living, doing it, sometimes not doing it. I stripped for a while. Um, The only reason I hadn't gone back is because of COVID. The way they're treating those girls is just horrible. You know, you can't even dance with a mask on. And I mean, honestly, why oh, would wow. you? But yeah. yeah, the men are still allowed to touch and all of that. So I haven't gone back to stripping because I'm just like, that's a lot <laughs> Yeah, oh, <laughs> during a pandemic. Right. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy you found a way to reclaim power for yourself. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, sex work definitely mm-hmm. saved me. I think a lot of people... You know, like I said, they have those stories of like, I needed money, I needed this, I needed Mm -hmm. that. And I think that that's okay. And that's valid too. But I was just looking to save myself. I felt like, you know, um, I felt like somebody had taken something from me. And Mm -hmm. because I'm a lesbian, and it was a woman who sexually assaulted me. um, And she's also in a sorority at my university. It was this moment where I felt like not only and are like, <laughs> not only do I feel like something is taken from me, but I feel like I'm not even in community with black women anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause people knew that she sexually assaulted me and, you know, like she still got into a sorority. She still, you know, got like awards from my school, you know, scholarships. And I, it was like, nobody really cared. And so with sex work, not only did I reclaim my body back, but I found a new community. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry that happened to you and, you know, you have community with me. I love you. Black oh, thank Moon you. Fans. I'm also very happy to find this new community. Yes, Black Sailor Moon fans. We are here for you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Oh, man, that's awful. But yeah, like I said, I'm really happy you were able to um, save yourself and find power through sex work, you know, through horrible situations, from a horrible situation or horrible thank instance. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, on a lighter note, <laughs> um, do you like any other anime? Oh, yes. So, 
I'm just now kind of sort of dipping my toe into non-magical girl anime. Mm -hmm. But for a long time, that was kind of all I watched, like um, magical girl anime or anime that was like, you know, um, geared toward women. I know a lot of people, they're like, I'm into anime. And then they say like Naruto, fairy tale, Yu Yu Hakusho, right. which are all animes, shonen. but like it's like it's right, it's shonen. Mm-hmm. It's barely any bitches in there. <laughs> and so <laughs> when I was watching anime, I was watching a lot of uh, Sailor Moon, of course, um, Wedding Peach, Revolutionary Girl, Utena, uh, Madoka Magica, Pretty Cure, at least four or five of them, because <laughs> it's quite a few Pretty Cures. Um, yeah even cute little ones like you know K-On, mm. um shuffle i mean that was harem but you know it was still a lot of girls <laughs> um vampire princess miu like so a lot of things where even if it isn't necessarily about girl power there's still like a lot of girls just just doing whatever and so i kind of started you know a friend put me on to you you have to show they were like you love sailor moon this is like the creator's like husband and mm-hmm. i was like Ugh. Let's see what he got going on. You know, and you know, it's it's just a lot of fighting. I I like the second season. I feel like there was a lot of storyline there. I enjoyed the storyline and the relationships. But yeah, it's really just a lot of like fighting and screaming. True. I do like Yu Hakusho. I feel like I compare it to like Beyonce, Jay Z, like. Like, like, <laughs> no, her, like, it's like, oh, it's, it's Naoko Takeuchi's husband's anime, you know? <laughs> like, when people are like, Beyonce's right, husband like, came it's along. Okay. <laughs> right, like, it's okay, but it's not Beyonce. Right, like, it's classic, like, it's definitely, you know, hits, like, it's definitely, you know, deserves um, critical acclaim that it's got and all the love that it's got, just like Jay-Z, but it's not Beyonce, it's not Sailor Moon. <laughs> right, so I've kind of started um I, I was watching a little bit of some show on netflix called parasite yeah that i don't know what that is that's a little oh, weird that was good yeah <laughs> it was yeah, weird, like but the, it was good it's super weird with the little inspirational music when he's going to kill somebody like it's, mm. it's very odd but you know i've been trying to i'm always open to suggestions I always say it just has to have a plot line, a good plot line, and uh, lots of good character development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. That's what I love about Sailor Moon and so many other shows. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what else do you stand? Oh, what else do I stand other than Sailor Moon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me think. Hmm. You know what? I really like Rico Nasty. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy Rico Nasty. Uh, her favorite, uh, my favorite project of hers is um, Nasty. <laughs> the, the album, that was my favorite. I enjoy like the rock screaming, emo, goth, kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> black girl things on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's also a Sailor Moon fan. Yes, I know. And you know what? She's one of those people where I would bet she watches Sailor Moon like currently. Definitely. Like when she's bored, she'll definitely like go on Hulu and watch the episode. Yeah. And she probably watches it subbed. I don't think she even like bothered with the dub or anything. You're probably right. She probably, <laughs> probably watches it so much. She probably doesn't even need like to know the what what's you know what they're saying anymore. 
Like she just knows no, there what's are happening. Some episodes, mm-hmm. it, there are some episodes, like if you just don't have any subtitles on and it's in Japanese, like you definitely know like the episode. Mm-hmm. You still know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, based on the music and like the tones. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what advice would you have for someone um, who wants to become a sex worker or who wants to enter into a PhD program? <laughs> <laughs> um enter into a PhD program don't do it um see if, there, see if there's a way where you can possibly do what you want to do without having to go through that type of hell but if you do want to do it and there's nothing I can do to stop you um make sure you choose a school that has funds for you and choose an advisor who you really click with those two things are so important to you not only, you know, staying in your program, but finishing successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those looking to become sex workers, do your research. I'm a big believer in pay another sex worker. Give Say I'll give you, you know, $25 or ask them how much they want from you and say, put me on the game, you know. A lot of this stuff you can't read about online mm-hmm. um, because it's such like a field in which things are secretive. But the girls are always more than willing to help if you give them money. Because the whole premise, you know, of sex work is pay people what they're worth. You know, make sure you're, you know, utilizing their time effectively and make sure that they get something out of it. So if they have something you want, offer them something. It may not always be money. It might be I do papers for free. And I know that you're a student who's also a sex worker. So I'll I'll do your paper or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you can give me some advice on how to get in the game. Because I I do that for a, a... a few people like they come to me and they ask me for help and so yeah they give me a donation and then yeah because you'll never be in this field and you'll never be safe unless you're in community with us right that's smart i wish we can go back to a barter system <laughs> <laughs> honestly <laughs> those were the day <laughs> yeah. yeah community is so important <laughs> very important so Oh man, that's cool. And then, just like Sailor Moon, um, you probably saw these on the VHS. Oh, actually, probably on the VHS tapes. You, VHS tapes you had. Um, she had a Sailor Moon fra- says phrase at every at the end of every episode. What would your phrase be? Yep. <laughs> so, so Sailor Raven says, or Sailor Mother Princess. Mother Princess says. <laughs> Sailor Raven says, um, ignore men unless they're giving you money. <laughs> I love it. That's probably the best tip I can give to anybody, including other men. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Yeah. And watch behind your ears. Oh, oh yeah. Please. Yes, and your legs. <laughs> please. <laughs> Don't let the water just run down, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I love both of those things. Those are both very solid advice, pieces of advice. <laughs> and uh what's next for you and where can do you want people to find you uh what's next you know honestly i'm just you know winging my way through life looking at hot ass nest so you can find more of that on the timeline on twitter um which is you know at m-u-v-a princess um, and then, yes, I have really nothing to show <laughs> as far as academically other than like little conferences I've been to or, you know, other places where I've spoke. But any work that I'll do from this point on will always be on my timeline to share with people. Awesome. That is amazing. I can't wait to read everything that you do. I'm already excited. Like everything that you described, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. 
Thank you. Yeah. And uh, thank you again for coming on the show. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to, you know, maybe some other Moonies following me. Like, so yes. we can just all talk about Sailor Moon together. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's going to be a little online community of us. It's going to be great. <laughs> for sure. Thank you.